Um, my name is Kyle Paz. I'm from Pitney Bowes. Um, I'm going to be talking to you about how Pitney Bowes is transforming our business um, in the cloud. Uh, I came to Pitney Bowes about two years ago, and um, I work on our SaaS platform and API platform teams, um, supporting many BUs with horizontal efforts. And um, we're going to be talking today about who Pitney Bowes is and what we do to enable global e-commerce, um, why and how we moved some critical AWS, uh, critical workloads, Windows-based workloads into AWS, and uh, what things we're doing next to accelerate the development of and the quality and reliability of new e-commerce services. Um, so uh, how many people here know who Pitney Bowes is? Like, just, just raise your hand. All right, so about two-thirds of the room. Um, Pitney Bowes, you know, our, you know, we've been around for about 96 years, and um, our iconic product is the mail meter. So you know, maybe you've may, maybe used our mail meters um, working in um, you know, SMB-type offices, maybe a law office or a, a boutique retailer. That's our most iconic product. But we actually have a very, very powerful global e-commerce business um, that spans uh, various solution areas, uh, customer information management, uh, so, you know, you know, ingesting data, doing data quality cleansing, enriching data. Uh, we have a very powerful and rich offering of location intelligence solutions, both from a, um, you know, very rich and powerful, um, you know, data sets that, that you can um, integrate into your enterprise. We also have customer engagement solutions to allow you to more uh, deeply and more um, contextually interact with your clients, as well as shipping and mailing solutions uh, to drive parcel handling, um, and mailing efficiency um, with end-to-end -end innovation. So today we're going to be talking um, about our, you know, mostly in our shipping and mailing space, some of the interesting innovations that we have going on there, and some of the transformation work that we've done to make that business more efficient. So we're going to be talking about um, our shipping business, and we actually have a transportation network that does outbound business from the U.S. to 104 countries worldwide, that's actually probably a dated figure. I'm sure it's grown since I, I put the slide together. We also have an outbound business from the U.K. going outbound to 88 countries, and we've also more recently added Australia. So we have outbound parcel business from those locations out to international locations. And really, this is what we're doing. We integrate with marketplaces um, so, for example, with, with eBay, and you can, an eBay seller, seller can choose to onboard with us to allow them to sell their listings to international buyers. And if someone buys internationally, obviously there's some complexity when a parcel wants to go across an international border, right? There's, there's duties and taxes. Um, there's a lot of complexity that goes into figuring out what's going to cost to get that parcel across a, across a boundary. So, you know, at the front end of this, um, you know, we have integrated into the order capture system a capability to do that landed cost calculation and provide a guaranteed rate to the buyer that they can pay one simple fee that will guarantee that when they buy the parcel, it's going to land on their doorstep, and they won't have a situation where the delivery person arrives and they can ask to, to pay some order, you know, some amount of cash to receive the delivery because you have to pay the duties or taxes or some other some other fees. So, so. If you buy from, from uh, let's say you're in Canada and you're on eBay and you're buying from a U.S. seller, um, great, you, you, you win the bid or you, you do the buy it now, you close your transaction, then 
that's going to initiate the seller to ship that package to one of our hub locations. Um, in the U.S., we actually have a hub location um, in, in the Omaha region. I'm not actually sure where it is in the U.K., um, and we also have one in Australia. In the hub, the, the hub team receives that parcel and, and, and process, processes it. Then from there, they're going to ship that, that parcel to a domestic line haul vendor who's going to get that ready to uh, be uh, shipped internationally. Then it's going to go through customs, get transported to the airport, be loaded onto a plane, shipped internationally. It's going to land. It's going to pass seamlessly through customs because of all the great work that Pitney Bowes has done to assure that package will clear customs. Then it's going to go to a local um, delivery and then on to the actual buyer. And they'll be celebrating because the package arrived and it's just what they've always wanted. So I'm going to be talking about our transportation hub software. This is, this is the software that's used in those hub locations and supports all facets of this life cycle. So the hub, um, you know, in that hub location, when the packages come in, the, uh, the package uh, is, is uh, inspected, and we want to make sure that it's going to match the, what was actually ordered. Um, we're going to check the parcel weight and dimensions. Um, we're going to check, check to see if it's a restricted or dangerous good. Um, you know, and by the way, this is both done digitally as well as some great physical innovations as well. I think Pitney Bowes, we're all about merging the digital and physical experiences in our hub locations, we actually have some really magical electrical mechanical equipment that helps us do this more efficiently, and it's tightly integrated with this hub processing software as well. Um, we're going to put together all of the documentation, uh, shipping label, uh, the, the, the um, commercial invoice, bill of landing, you know, the manifest, um, anything that's required to successfully get that, get that parcel delivered internationally, we'll, we'll produce all that documentation. Um, we actually will do the parcel um, containerization, so we'll group the parcels um, according to where they're going, according to the type of item they are, to make it easier for the line haul vendor to ship it and, and get that transported internationally. And it's also, we'll, we'll also integrate our, the parcel in the shipping label into our carrier tracking system so we can actually have package tracking throughout the end-to-end -end journey of, of, of that parcel as it goes through all those phases of the life cycle show, I showed here. Um, and all the way, all the way out to the um, end, end, end buyer in the successful delivery. So in, in 2015, we found ourselves in a spot where we had some severely um, aging infrastructure. Um, the infrastructure that we were running this on was located in our Omaha data center. The server and network infrastructure was all pretty much three to six years old. It was fully capitalized, which was great from a, from a, a cost perspective. However, we, we, we definitely were seeing insufficient I.O. performance. So the workloads were just not running very efficiently. And this is a volume-based business. Um, we run a lot of parcels, especially at this time of year. So performance and I.O. throughput is critical for us. Um, also, we had a spook factor. Uh, whenever there were performance issues um, or any kind of an outage and we would get our operations team and our developers working together to look at it, we just did not have that confident feeling in the underlying infrastructure to rule out spooky things that could be happening at the network or at the disk or at the server level. That was always just slowing us down as we were working through these things and trying to improve the performance or, or resolve an outage. Um, so not a good situation um, from, from the infrastructure perspective. 
We also were in a situation where we, we had our application development team and our application operations team, and I actually have a couple member of that, members of that team here today with me, um, working together with a NetOps team. The NetOps team was actually located in that data center, and they did all the racking and stacking and the, the maintenance of that infrastructure. And these three teams collaborated closely on the deployments and the upkeep and the maintenance and the, and the, and the out of resolution activities for this application. Um, but we got the word that the NetOps team was going to be pulled back from this operation, right? They were being squeezed for cost, and uh, they were being reorganized, and they were being reallocated to different activities. So that was going to leave our application developers and our, our application operations team a bit in the lurch. You know, we, we were going to lose our on-the-ground NetOps people that were overseeing this critical data center for us. So what were we going to do? Lastly, we had a DR site. Now, this is actually a picture of, of Omaha, if anyone's familiar with Omaha. This is actually Omaha. And we had our primary site and our DR site in the same metro area. Um, so we had DR, which is great, but you know, this really was a disaster waiting to happen. Like, you know, when there's a disaster, it couldn't impact a whole metro area, obviously. And um, so we were just not in a great situation, um, so we need to probably better prepare ourselves for disasters in the future. So we had some decisions to make. So what did we want? Um, we wanted a new solution that was going to get us into a OPEX versus a CAPEX um, spending cycle. Um, obviously, we want a cost-effective infrastructure. Who doesn't want that? Um, we were also looking for developer productivity. This is something that was really important to us. Um, when we looked at, when we started looking at what were we going to do hosting partner-wise, it wasn't just driven by our hosting operations team. Um, this was a joint effort between that hosting operations team and our development team. And actually, a member of my team here, uh, Kevin Bodie, is here today, who was a, a lead member of that team. And developer productivity was really important for us. That was a really key consideration for, for our decision. And also, we need, we need reliability. Um, Pitney Bowes, we've been around for 96 years. We're a well-established brand. Our clients, both our SMB clients as well as our enterprise clients and partners, um, they have an expectation of our solutions that, that needs to be, you know, our reliability needs to be commensurate with that 96-year legacy that we have. So we needed a reliable solution. So we, we started looking at a number of vendors. We looked at, you know, obviously we're looking at AWS. We also looked at a number of other um, public cloud vendors as well as some other colo solutions and really looked across these, 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 um, these areas to, to see how they scored. And really, in the end, what we found was that for, for OPEX versus CAPEX, everyone's got that now. Everyone's got, you know, even traditional colo vendors, they'll set you up with, with a, a, um, a um, you know, pay-as-you-go situation. And for the most part, you know, we found reliability to be pretty good across the board. Um, you know, with some exceptions. But when, when we looked at cost and developer productivity, AWS really hit the nail on the head for us. Um, you know, just cost-wise, they were far and away the most efficient solution um, com you know, compared to what we were looking at. In developer productivity, we really saw all the investments they were making into the, into the developer tools um, that you can use to, you know, more quickly get your applications out the door. Things like, um, you know, SNS and SQS, right? Those are some of the early developer um, productivity tools they, they built out. And this was even before they were building out really cool things like, uh, you know, code deploying, code, code pipeline. So we saw where Amazon was going with that productivity story, and we really, we really liked what we saw. So we elected to go with Amazon. 
So we're going to move the transportation hub to Amazon, and we, we, we started defining what our cloud adoption patterns were going to be within Amazon, or within, uh, within Pitney Bowes, and we really identified three patterns. We had a lift-and-shift pattern, a cloud-optimized pattern, and a cloud-native pattern. The lift-and-shift, you know, everyone's familiar with what that is. You take what you have in your physical data center and you leverage the cloud services to basically rebuild that. So for, for Amazon, you're going to be leveraging EC2, um, you know, AMIs, um, you know, VPCs to, you know, to kind of define that network layer, elastic load balancers for, for, for load balancing, um, you know, Route 53 for DNS. Um, actually, I see here in Cloud Optimize, I have um, elastic file storage. That probably should also be in lift and shift. So lift and shift, you know, recreate your physical data center in the cloud. Cloud Optimize, this is really, really... Um, take your application and development does some work to optimize that application, which might have been built in the days of the physical data center, but you start modifying that application to be more efficient and leverage some cloud services to improve your cost, improve your liability, um, improve uh, you know, the quality of service. So this, you know, really you're looking at separating compute from storage. So you look at leveraging Amazon S3 for storage. Um, RDS is a great way to improve your, your, your cost and efficiency. Um, CloudFormation um, for, for monitor, or CloudFormation for deployment, and CloudWatch for monitoring, all great tools that you, you, we, we want to see employed at that cloud-optimized pattern. And then cloud-native, this is really where you are building an application ground up, designed to leverage all the resources of the cloud. Um, you know, Elastic Beanstalk and auto-scaling, um, you know, very popular within PB. You, you can really get an app going and deployed quickly in Amazon with Elastic Beanstalk. And auto scaling, you know, if you really are designing an application, separate your tiers, um, have each tier horizontally scalable, set up your auto scaling groups with the right policies to scale scale each horizontal tier independently, and you'll have a really cost effective and high performing application. Um, and also Docker, um, you know, we're, we we are um, you know our cloud native applications, many of them are packaging the application tier as Docker and um, and deploying those Docker containers. Um, you know, often through Elastic Beanstalk. Um, and also, um, we're, we're starting to get our feet wet with serverless architectures um, with AWS Lambda. So looking at the transportation hub, we quickly landed on, we wanted to do lift and shift. Um, why? Speed was really important. We had to get this done fast. Um, you know, we, we, we were looking at getting this done, and we needed to be done before our holiday period freeze, which goes into effect at the end of October. So that's when we really start to expect our parcel activity to really start driving up as we head into November. We need to be completely frozen with this deployment heading into, into that time frame. We had to execute quickly and get it done. Also, development was consumed with delivering new feature content, and there just wasn't bandwidth there to look at uh, taking on any optimizations to get to that, you know, that cloud-optimized pattern. They, they had to deliver future content to meet the needs of the business to help grow revenue, so we couldn't disrupt them. And also, there was an aspect of let's crawl before we walk. Um, this is really one of our first ventures into Amazon, and uh, we wanted to, um, you know, lift and shift is great because it lets you get experience with operating a product in the cloud, um, but it also has a lot of constructs that your operations team will be very familiar with. 
Um, so you're not looking at things like you know Beanstalk, which is a you know a brand new concept if you've been running operations in a, in a colo facility, but running servers, EC2 instances, great. You know a, you know a, a a VPC network. You know that's a concept I'm very familiar with. So it was, let's get our feet wet, um, let's crawl before we walk, and as we get more mature, then maybe we can look at moving on to more advanced patterns. So it turns out that development had actually started this move first. Um, and the reason for this is that, that around the same time this was happening with, our, with the production side, development was, was informed that the IT team, which at the time was, was managing the production environments but also managing the lower development test environments, they were, you know, they were facing um, shrinking, shrinking budgets and being squeezed for, for efficiencies, so they were going to no longer manage the development environment. So development had to figure out what they were going to do. And uh, developers, they like self-service. They like speed. They don't like having to create tickets and waiting. So uh, they quickly found Amazon and were able to build their lower dev and test environments there in a matter of days. And they started getting some experience with what it would be like to run the transportation hub in Amazon. Um, and they're, you know, you know, we work closely with our operations counterparts. They were pulling their ops team in, showing them what they're doing. And the ops team was starting to see that, yes, this looks like this is a, a potentially great solution for us for production. So development moved first for us, to, and, 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 and they loved it. For the production migration, um, there was a set of key requirements that our operations team identified. One, it had to be a seamless migration from our Colo data center to Amazon. There could be no impact to our clients um, or, or, or the, the, the customers, or customers of our clients. Um, we need to get those parcels through and delivered um, to satisfy you know, those, those end buyers. Um, we, could, we absolutely could not jeopardize that at all. Also, we could not jeopardize the productivity of the development team. We wanted to do this without disrupting them, um, so that was really important to us. We want to improve the supportability of the system. Um, you know, as I said, we were kind of had that spook factor going. So we wanted to really make sure that going forward, once we complete this migration, it was going to be a much more supportable system, instrumented with much more rigorous monitoring tools, um, and um, able to you know give our operations team and development team the insights they need to successfully run this workload. We want to eliminate single points of failure. Um, so in the Colo uh, deployment we had we didn't really have a great HA story in place. So, we, so that was important to us to look at what could we do to add high availability. Um, we also wanted to enable seasonal bursting and, and scaling back down again. So um, we've scaled up now for our holiday period, now that we're running higher volumes. Post-holidays, we, we want to be able to scale back down again. And uh, as, as I already mentioned, we wanted to complete that cutover prior to the holiday readiness period. So that was, that was a, a, a critical requirement. So. The first step in the, um, in, in the migration was for our, our, our product services group, so our, our operations team. They built out what they call their production test environment. So here's a diagram of that environment. Um, we actually um, you know, set up four, avail four availability zones, um, and we also set up at the database here, you know, we're, we're running MSSQL, so we, we configured MSSQL uh, to be always on and, and be replicating across those two um, availability zones. Um, this was completed you know, pretty easily. Um, they, got, they got this built out um, um, in a matter of weeks. Um, they, after they got it built out, they conducted load tests on that environment. And uh, this is really where um, I think our operations team saw the power of the cloud is that 
they were able to tune the server configurations just over and over and over again until they got it just right and didn't require purchasing of any new hardware, right? I mean, you know, you know, you know a six to eight per, you know, week procurement cycle would have killed us if we had to get this done in the time frame that we're looking at. So just being able to tune your, 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 your AMI configurations and spin up new instances and do another load test and then retune it again. You know, for example, they, need, they discovered they need to, to increase the, 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 um, the IOPS. And if we had actual physical hardware to do this with, that would have been, all right, we need to order a new bigger disk or a new higher performing disk, and we would have been set back a number of weeks. In Amazon, it's just a simple config change. You can do it in a matter of seconds. Um, it's tremendously um, awesome. Step three, um, we cut AMIs from those tuned server configs and, uh, th that we built out in that, pr in that production test environment, and we use those configs to provision our production environment. So the same environment that we had finely tuned in our production test environment, we basically took that, built out our production environment from that, so we knew what we had in place exactly. Um, and this, you know, we, we learned something, so we learned that we didn't need four availability zones, we really only needed two. Um, but everything else was the same in terms of the deployment architecture, but now we had finely tuned server configs that was going to meet the needs of, that, of our peak workloads heading into the holiday period, so we were feeling really confident. Step four, we replicated data from our Omaha data center to AWS. We configured AWS as the DR site for that Omaha data center, and then we failed over during our, one of our maintenance windows. And Post failover, we were active in Amazon US East with our with our with our as our primary site, running production traffic. Then we configured a DR site. Um, you know, so we basically took our per, you know, primary site, replicated it to US West, configured that as DR, took Omaha down, and now we're fully all in on Amazon, um, running um, you know, our primary and our DR site there. So the results, uh, wire to wire. For this, it took five months. Um, you know, great job by our operations team executing this. You know, they 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 are thin on they were um, you know squeezed on resources because not only were they doing this, but they're also making sure that the current you know the, the the existing production workloads were running. They were able to execute this efficiently. Um, we see that our performance and uptime has been significantly improved, and um, you know, it, it, we, we did see an instance where an availability zone failed, and it was great to see that that was really just a, a slight blip for us. We barely even noticed. I mean, it was like, um, you know, about 10 years ago, I was, I was commuting into work on the first snowy day of the year. I live up in, I live in New England. And I'm, I'm, I'm coming up to my office. I'm probably about 400 yards from my office. I can see my office. And I say, oh, look at that. There's a, there's a fire truck, you know, stopped there. And he's turning into the parking lot before my office. I'm like, all right, I'm going to have to slow down before I get to that fire truck. I touch the brakes, my car does not stop at all. Like, I am just, the, the brakes are not working, I'm on black ice, and I'm sliding towards this fire truck. So the first thought going through my mind is, I'm going to hit a fire truck. And I hit the fire truck, my car was totaled. I'm pretty sure the guys in the fire truck, they probably didn't even spill their coffee. They, they didn't even notice it. Um, so that's what you want to do with your architectures. You want to build a highly reliable, highly available architecture so that when these bumps occur, you don't even notice it. So, um, so um, really powerful leveraging multiple availability zones. Um, and also, the spook factor is gone. Developers now were at a point where they had a much higher confidence level in the infrastructure. So 
as we were looking at our performance characteristics from our production workloads and trying to tune that or resolve an issue, we knew the infrastructure level was not going to be a problem for us, and we can just focus at that application tier. So that really helped uh, speed up the uh, efficiency of our, our development operations team. So what's next for us? Um, for Transportation Hub, we do want to look at now moving that from the, from the lift-and-shift pattern to a cloud-optimized pattern. So um, one of the things we're looking to do is implement RDS. Um, we, you know, uh, you know, Abdul here, he's, he's here specifically at the show looking for how can we move to RDS. Um, you know, we're, we're using MSSQL. We need to replicate across multiple regions. You know, what's the best way to do that? Um, there's some limitations with RDS that we haven't figured out, so we're here doing research. We, we think we might actually have a potential solution with, uh, with leveraging a, a partner solution from the, from the Amazon marketplace that can help us with that. Also, um, the dev team is looking to streamline the deployment pipeline. Um, so they're going all in on Amazon for their, for their continuous integration and dev and test environments, and uh, they're looking to leverage additional services to speed the productivity of that team. So I'm going to talk a little bit now about another um, shipping solution that we have. Um, it's called Border Free. So Border Free is another global e-commerce solution and allows retailers to either um, integrate with an international marketplace to add their listings into an international marketplace or a retailer to directly expose their um, current web presence internationally. So uh, Border Free does things like you know, website localization, currency conversion. It'll handle, it'll, it'll, it'll present, um, you know, it'll do that landed cost calculation to, you know, to help figure out the shipping costs cost across the international borders. Um, it's, it's a tremendous solution. And actually, you know, we're in the holiday period now. If, and if any of you have a, a spouse that likes high-end fashion or, 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 or those types of items, you can go to borderfree.com see a listing of our, of our retailers that we partner with that leverage our border-free solutions. So, you know, if you want to buy something from Harrods, you can do that, and they'll ship internationally to the U.S. Um, it's, it's, it's a really cool, um, really powerful platform. So, Pitney Bowes, we acquired border-free, um, I think it was last, last um, in, in roughly June of 2015, and uh, they have a primary site that's, um, you know, in the Colo Center, and they did not yet have a DR site. So heading into this holiday period, it was really important for us to get that, that, that DR site set up uh, so that these retailers can, can rely upon um, you know, and, and see that Pitney Bowes is going to deliver the level of assurance that they expect from, from the Pitney Bowes name. So we executed a lift and shift program for that to stand up a DR site in Amazon. The primary site is still running in, in that Colo data center right now, but that DR site's active. But we are really doing some really cool things now. The border-free development team is really motivated to move that application, which is very much a monolithic, you know, a monolithic um, architecture application, move that to our cloud-native pattern. So they're breaking up that monolithic app into separate services. And um, where possible, they're moving from Windows to Linux. So we're envisioning running these services on Amazon Linux. Um, they're going all in on a CI environment in Amazon. So I want to talk a little bit about this. Um, they, um, you know, they are, you know, they've deployed a Jenkins farm up in AWS, you know, the Jenkins master and Jenkins slaves. They're um, fanning out build jobs to speed up their builds to make them more efficient. 
Um, and as they are breaking up this monolithic app into smaller services, you know, they're changing their testing profile. Previously, their testing profile was very, very heavy on UI testing because it was a monolithic app and that was really the only way to interface it with it was at the UI tier. Um, so they had a lot of automated tests built out, but a lot of those tests were very fragile, took a long time to run, not very efficient. As they've been breaking up this monolithic app into smaller services, they've been adding, they've kind of flipped that profile from heavy UI testing down to only a few unit tests. Now they have tons of unit testing that runs with every single build. Then they have a high number of API-based uh, tests that happen at the service business, at the business service tier, and then only a few fragile UI tests um, that, that they need to run um, with each cycle. So they're really uh, you know, going on that to speed up the developer productivity, speed up how quickly we can get developers' feedback about the quality of their code change. Um, they're also um, you know, looking at trying to implement infra, you know, infrastructure as code. So we're defining all of our AWS resources as CloudFormation stacks. We're packaging the application tier in Docker containers, and we're leveraging Ansible um, for orchestrating the deployments. Do we have any Ansible users here? We have a couple. So here's our, our, our target state for this environment. Um, so we have version control. Um, it's still running actually on-prem in our, in our, in our, uh, in our um, private data center. Um, when we want to deploy, we fetch from the version control system our Ansible playbooks. The Ansible control, controller takes those playbooks and generates our CloudFormation templates. The CloudFormation templates then drive the creation of the environment in Amazon and provisioning of all the EC2 instances. Then we fetch the Docker instances from our Docker registry onto that and we're up and running. Um, it's a much more efficient way to get, to get new code into production than a traditional pipeline. Um, so th this is kind of the target, this is our next target state, and the team's already looking at the, the next steps beyond this. One, we want to move our version control system into, into the cloud. Um, we, um, we use GitLab in, in, in Pitneybose. Um, we like some of the features of GitLab. Um, so we're probably not going to go all in on AWS um, on, on their version control system, but we are going to stand up GitLab in the cloud so that um, our builds will be more efficient, so you don't have to fetch the source um, from our data center, get the, get the assets moved up to the cloud. You can do all the builds right there locally in Amazon. And also, um, we're looking at potentially implementing a container management service, either ECS or something like Kubernetes. Um, we have a lot of these small services that are running. Um, we actually had an intern this past summer um, that did a proof of concept for us with Elastic, um, with, with Elastic Container Service to prove out that this could be an effective way for us to take a lot of our smaller applications and run them more cost-effectively. We were seeing that we're standing up separate Beanstalk stacks for, for you know, dozens and dozens of services, not very efficient cost-wise. Cost so we wanted to load these um, you know, into Docker, into a container management service, and then let that container management service pack those resources onto f as few EC2 resources as it can while still ensuring the quality and reliability of those services. So it's, I think it's a really, it's got a lot of potential for us. So once we land on this target state, I'm sure we're going to be on to the next thing beyond that um, very quickly. So for uh, wrap-up, um, 
we were faced with an aging infrastructure. Um, you know, we had some decisions to make in terms of who we were going to partner with. We landed on Amazon as being our strategic cloud provider, um, primarily based on cost and developer productivity. What we've seen for um, you know what we do with the transportation hub has has fully borne out that we're more effective cost-wise. We've you know, we've calculated that we've saved eight percent on our hosting costs. Now, bear in mind that that's not a huge number, but that does not factor in the fact that we had to replace all all of our server and networking infrastructure. So that that eight percent was just keep on running the same infrastructure that we're running in our colo data center and just pay for the maintenance and the, and, the, and, the, and the hosting staff that we need there. So what does that cost versus what's it going to cost to go, you know, to, to put the transportation hub, add high availability, add DR in Amazon, and we still lowered our costs. If we had to reinvest in capital hardware, you know, it would have been you know, an order of magnitude of savings if we calculated that out. Develop, developer productivity-wise, we've seen some huge wins. Um, you know, across the company in terms of, um, especially for, for some of our SMB-oriented SaaS product teams, um, you know, they've been able to get new apps out the door much more quickly um, by streamlining, streamlining a build pipeline that leverages um, Amazon for our development, QA, staging, pre-prod and prod environments. Um, it's, it's, it's a very powerful thing uh, to get your developers um, experience with. For uh, Amazon, um, Cloud adoption patterns, lift and shift, cloud optimized, uh, and cloud native. Um, you know, evaluate you know where each product is in your product lifecycle. Obviously, more mature products that are on the downslope of their of their lifecycle probably not um, looking for. Uh, you're probably not looking to invest a lot of development resources. Maybe lift and shift is more appropriate. Um, you're, go, you're building a new app um, to, to uh, you know, a product manager has a twinkle in his eye about some new, new use case, and you want to build some new apps, and you want to quickly experiment. You know, look for a cloud-native type architecture. Leverage everything that Amazon can give you for developer productivity, scaling, maybe even serverless. Um, and then in the middle, cloud-optimized. Maybe you have an asset that you want to repackage up and bring to a new market, um, but you have the opportunity to invest in development resources to make it more efficient. Look at separating compute from, from, from storage by, by looking at S3. Look at adopting um, CloudWatch for monitoring. Look at CloudFormation for automating your deployments. So uh, we, we successfully moved uh, the transportation hub, um, and we added high availability and disaster recovery. And uh, border-free, you know, we are now actively migrating border-free. We're basically going right from lift and shift, trying to make the jump all the way to cloud-native, um, you know, looking at uh, you know, building out our CI environment fully in Amazon, um, leveraging Ansible and CloudFormation for our deployments, and also looking at Docker for packaging up our, our application containers. And with that, I think we have time for questions if anyone has questions.